Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, August 23rd. We start with a look at the discussions surrounding mandatory vaccines ahead of the upcoming election and specifically what would it look like for local businesses. We'll talk to the Business Council of Alberta. Next, continuing the conversation on the upcoming federal election, we examine the divide between rural voters and urban voters. We get some insight from the School of Environmental Design and Rural Development at the University of Guelph. Then, as the battle against COVID-19 enters this fourth wave here in Canada, we look at the effectiveness of vaccines versus the immunity presented by being previously infected by the virus. We hear some details on new research on this topic from Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. And finally, it's our week weekly segment aimed at sparking motivation and inspiration. This week we meet Lori Cowling and her daughter Sydney, the founders of the See Uniqueness Facebook page. We hear their philosophy on the importance of celebrating who you are. Well, party leaders are releasing their takes on mandatory vaccines, but what will that look like for businesses? We're joined this morning by Scott Crockett, who is the Vice President of Communications and Stakeholder Relations with the Business Council of Alberta. We're getting his take on this topic. Good morning, Scott. Thanks for joining us. Oh, good morning, Steve. Thanks for having me. Sorry Hi, about Scott. That. No worries. Thanks so much for joining us. Obviously, an important topic. It's it's one that's certainly on the minds of so many, no matter where you fall, uh, you know, in terms of whether agreeing or disagreeing with it. But when you're consulting with businesses across the province of Alberta right now, what do they want or need when it comes to potentially mandatory vaccinations for workers? Well, it's a really active conversation at the moment, too. And uh, for some time, businesses, you know, since vaccines have become widely available to all Albertans, businesses have been looking at ways that they can encourage their employees to get vaccinated. They see it as the right thing to do for uh, for society at large and also kind of a health and safety issue for their employees in particular. Uh, what's really changed over the last two or so weeks is we've seen a lot of employers begin to to step up their thinking in this way. Uh, some considering the topic of mandatory vaccination for their employees and, you know, and quite a few actually beginning to roll out mandatory vaccination plans. Uh, that really kind of began with the federal government announcing that it was going to be mandatory for federal employees and federally regulated industries because uh, that affects a lot of Alberta businesses alone, things like banks, telecommunication, you know, airlines, rail, that kind of thing. And that's beginning to spread out wider into the community as more and more businesses uh, begin to consider following suit. Scott, you mentioned the plans. The businesses are looking at these plans. So I'm wondering what enforcement would look like for business owners if vaccinations were mandatory for workers. Can you see them saying you're not, you're still allowed to be an employee of this company. You just have to work from home if it's a possibility. Or could uh, somebody lose their job from for not getting a vaccination? Well, I think uh, flexible work arrangements are, are certainly a possibility. I mean, the message is loud and clear to folks that haven't been vaccinated yet and, and frankly don't have a good reason not to be vaccinated, which is that uh, we really need you to get vaccinated. Otherwise, there are going to be more constraints on what you can do in your, in your life. And I think there are uh, we're already seeing that in terms of things like travel, and and it's likely going to come to the workplace as well. I think there are two really big questions remaining for businesses uh, who are sort of pondering exactly what mandatory or strongly encouraged vaccination would look like for them. It's you know uh, to what extent can they legally push this? How far can they go? Uh, it seems some are comfortable going quite far. And then the second, and it's really very unresolved question. Is, is what will happen if there are employees who, who still refuse. Uh, you know, there have been some employers who said that that might mean that they can't work at the job anymore. Others have been much more flexible about thinking, well, we might be able to
able to arrange something more in terms of working from home. And Scott, what about, you know, balancing the needs of Canadians who, and there are some certainly, who medically cannot get the vaccine. And as you mentioned, there are some who just adamantly say, I'm not doing it. I don't trust it. Well, I think that the, on your first point, too, that's a, a very important question, one that we often don't have quite enough time to talk about when we're talking about things like mandatory vaccination, is that any sensible policy has carve-outs in it. You know, um, exceptions made for those who, for one good reason or another, simply cannot get a vaccine. And and at the end of the day, that's one of the reasons why it's, the mo- it's so important for those of us, even who are perhaps at relatively low risk of severe outcomes, to get vaccinated so we can protect those relatively few people who, for medical reasons, can't get it. And I think there are there are perfectly reasonable ways that companies are finding to think around how you'd allow employees who can't get vaccinated to keep working. Scott, what are you hearing from businesses? Uh, what, what are they hoping to see from candidates on mandatory vaccinations in the upcoming election? Well, I think that businesses want to see uh, clear policy indication from, from all candidates and all parties that, that vaccination isn't something political in Canada. You know, I think the worst thing that we could happen would be if we really politicized the topic of vaccination like we've seen happen in some other countries around the world. I think we need to look at this as something that, uh, that vaccination is, is coming. Canada has some very high vaccination rates and that it's something that all, uh, all policymakers are encouraging Canadians to do. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Scott. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Sue Thank you. That is Scott Crockett, Vice President, Communications and Stakeholder Relations with the Business Council of Alberta. What do rural Canadians need to see from party leaders in the upcoming election and how pivotal will their votes be? With some insights, we're joined now by Ashley Whedon, who is a PhD candidate with the School of Environmental Design and Rural Development at the University of Guelph. Good morning, Ashley. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay, so what are some of the most pressing issues that Canadians, particularly living in rural areas, need to see being addressed by the party leaders in this upcoming election? Well, I think that that we've seen um, a lot of things start to surface in terms of various platforms for rural issues, you know, for all of us, right off the top, broadband being a big thing. I know myself living rurally here in Ontario and for lots of friends and colleagues across the country, rurally, no matter where you are, um, being able to be connected to um, affordable, accessible broadband is a huge issue. Um, and we've seen that come up in some of the platforms. However, we've not really seen any plans for how we're actually going to um, to get people connected to high-speed internet other than just sort of, we're going to do it. So we really need to be looking for, for sort of concrete, tangible plans. But the other pieces beyond kind of a single issue for rural Canada, um, because I think there's a tendency to sometimes reduce it down to just that's the only thing that matters, and it's not. Um, we have decades of research from organizations and, and networks like the Canadian Rural Revitalization Foundation and the Rural Policy Learning Commons and a bunch of other great networks that, you know, it almost sounds so simple as to seem... Uh, to seem laughable, but the things that really work are investing in housing um, and affordable and attainable housing, investing in transportation, making sure that our infrastructure is up to snuff, that we're, you know, investing into um, not just sort of corporations, but into people and supporting people to be able to access the things they need to live meaningful lives. Uh, And so we need to really look at these holistic solutions and looking at rural places like complex, interesting things, just the same way we look at cities. Mm. 
Ashley, you, you know, you, in your writings on this topic, you touch on something called rural-urban interdependencies. Can you explain a little bit more exactly what that is and why we often see such polarization cast between the rural and urban centers during election times? Right. So we tend to, I mean, it, it's, it's become a bit of a cliche, right? The rural-urban divide. And there are certainly things that, um, based on where you live, change, um, you know, what, how the shape of your life, how you uh, go about building your livelihood and your life and things like that. And, and, you know, to some extent, we've seen lots of things play out around the world that geography can be destiny. And really, some of that just comes down to unproductive framing that says, you know, well, this is what rural people need, this is what urban people need. When we really kind of start digging into the research, um, we all really want the same things, right? We want to be able to... Um, build a home, have a, a meaningful employment, be able to have rich and and, and enriching um, social and um, cultural lives, and we want to be able to um, kind of sustain our connection to the environment and to what we do in our place in the world. And so when we start thinking about um, how rural and urban places are interconnected versus how they're divided, we end up with a much more interesting, much more productive way of looking at at what we need to see in terms of moving forward. So, for example, um, we sometimes only frame rural places in terms of their value to cities. So, you know, the, you see all the movements around farmers feed cities, mm. you see all the things around, you know, it's where our energy is produced, it's where we talk about carbon sinks, it's, you know, places of leisure, places of conservation, um, as well as sort of, of what we're looking at in terms of the changing landscape of the world. However, that's all still really framing rural places as only having value in terms of what they can provide to, non, to non-rural or to urban people. Um, and instead, it's far more interesting to think about, you know, how we're all related and connected in that regard. So, yes, these things happen in rural communities, but rural communities and rural places are valuable in and of themselves, right? These are, you know, places that people call home. These are... Um, uh, places that matter to the people that live there. Um, and in the same breath, you know, rural people depend on cities as well for all kinds of things in terms of um, the access to some of the things that only happen mm-hmm. through benefits of density or being able to look at what's happening in a city in terms of being major conduits for certain types of business or transportation or even healthcare. Um, but we really do need to look at um, the relationship between rural and urban people and how we build that and strengthen that rather than kind of setting up this this artificial uh, way of looking at it as us the versus divide, them, yeah. it's not. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. us versus the problem. Yeah, fair enough. Thank you so much. Great perspective. Really appreciate it. We'll send people to your article in theconversation.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. That's Ashley Whedon, PH candidate, School of Environmental Design and Rural Development at the University of Guelph. A new paper published in the Journal of Internal Medicine takes a look at the protection offered by immunity against COVID-19, specifically the immunity of a vaccination as compared to natural infection. With details on the research, we are joined by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. Well, you're going to have to tell us about this study, and it's interesting to me because I uh, went to, for dinner with a small group of friends uh, a few weeks ago and uh, speaking to the different couples who had their vaccines. And one of the couples said, well, we're not going to get the vaccine. 
because we both had COVID, so we're, we're good now. Mm. So I'm not right. sure if a lot of people have that mindset, but you're here to tell us uh, how we can compare the two when it comes to protection. Exactly. So that's a great example because that's where it hinges, <laughs> trying to understand that question. What's the, what's the correct answer really does give us a lot of insight. So our immune system fights infection. That's what it does. Uh, and it also has a memory. So if we ever see the same infection again, it can mount a response very, very quickly and very efficiently. So if we look at COVID, if we get natural immunity, we get infected with COVID. How does our immune system respond? Well, what we found out over time is that the um, the response is much weaker than expected. Mm. So if you've got a, a fairly mild side of COVID, you might actually get a very poor immune response from it. That response seems to wane, goes away quicker than we expected. If that wasn't true, we wouldn't be talking about vaccines because we would have got a herd immunity, we'd be in a much better place. But people have gotten second infection with the exact like wild type of uh, COVID, and we've gotten, definitely gotten second infections with any of the variants. Okay, so, so I was going to ask you, so does that, that means that if you got the one variant, you can still get it again and be sick? Any other variant. Okay. So you, in theory, could have had COVID four times already. You could have had the natural wild-type COVID. First variant comes in, you could have, in theory, got infected with that. Second variant comes in, could get infected. So to your question, the initial lead-in question, the vaccine uh, definitely is preferable to that natural immunity because the natural immunity would not protect them against the Delta variant at all. Mm. So what is a vaccine? So if we move on the other side, vaccine's better than expected, especially after uh, the second shot. It wanes, but a little bit slower and not as completely as natural immunity. And it, even though it doesn't cover the variants completely, it mutes their effect very, very well. So the vaccine wins hands down because it's actually broader and much better than we probably expected in the beginning. I've heard some people also, Dr. J, say, well, I had COVID. I probably shouldn't get a vaccine because that might be detrimental. Is there any truth to that? Absolutely none. So this actually, in the perfect world, um, having being vaccinated and being exposed to, um, uh, say, a variant and not getting sick from it could actually expand your immunity. So you even get a better immune response because now you have the vaccine immunity and you have that natural immunity kicked in on top of that. Not that you want to do that, but in theory, that might be the broadest immunity and definitely uh, it's not detrimental if you've been if you've actually had the infection. The vaccine on top of it just enhances your immunity. Interesting. Okay, and so you know, <laughs> I, I guess that's the thing, right? And and you're a medical expert, and people are going to go. Oh, well, of course, he's going to say go with the vaccine. But really, from all the research and everything that we've seen so far, it just proves that the vaccine is what's going to move us forward. Absolutely. So. There's always talk. There's still talk. We don't know anything about this. We, we know a lot about this. There's still a lot to learn, and it keeps evolving. So as, as things change, we learn more. But right now, our fundamental knowledge base is actually very sound, and it's so heavily sided on the vaccine. Uh, so, yes, moving forward, this is the way to go. Well, thanks for the clarification mm-hmm. and bringing that to our attention, Dr. J. Okay, you betcha. Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Well, it is Motivational Monday, a chance for us to meet people who will set you up for a positive day, week, and beyond. And today we're joined by Lori Cowling and her daughter, Sydney. They're a dynamic duo, and today they're talking to us about why we need to celebrate you exactly as you are. Good morning, Lori. 
Hi, nice to be here today. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. Is Sydney up early with you? Say hi. Say hello. Hi. Hi, Sydney. Okay, Lori. <laughs> okay, Sydney has the best laugh in the whole wide world. Lori, tell us about Sydney and why, <laughs> why you two created your See Uniqueness Facebook page and, and what it's all about. Yeah, for sure. So last year, just like everybody else, uh, you know, we had a bit of a rougher time. Sydney um, sees the world in this beautiful way as a young woman with Down syndrome and so incredibly involved in our community and people and social. And when we all had to isolate, um, Sydney and I, in the beginning, isolated 60 days on our own. And I just saw her totally go from this vibrant, amazing, you know, socially active person to being very... um, very sad and alone so you know we did a few things and then we created this facebook page called see your life in miracles and gratitude and part of the reason we did it is so that sydney could start sharing her joy and her laugh and feel connected so um we would do videos every day we just do a little video three five minutes sharing our joy and our gratitude and he's always singing a song and, you know, just really giving other people that chance to, to feel a place that their life is full of miracles. You've got uh, three motivational tips uh, to offer up to the listeners. We'll get to those um, in a second if we can, Lori. But in the meantime, Sydney, I'm wondering, did you have fun setting up the Facebook page with your mom? Was that fun for you? Yeah. Yeah. So you like to sing songs as well. What are some, tell us the names of some of the songs that we might hear if we're on the Facebook page. What do you like to sing? Yeah. Sydney likes to sing, You Are My Sunshine. Yeah. She likes to sing some lullabies that her grandma taught her. Yeah. Yeah. And then invariably, you'll catch a pink song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, who doesn't love pink, right? Yes. Very cool. Yeah. So, so we, <laughs> she goes. It's not the best laugh. I love that. Uh, I love so it. It's six twelve in the morning, ladies and gentlemen. She is. Uh, she is pumped. So if we're, we're excited to, to to find out those things that we can dig into on the Facebook page. But you've broken it down to a few different tips. So tell us about the first one, Laurie, which is implement time throughout the day to pause and be in wonder and awe at yourself, others, and the things that are happening. How do we do that, and why is it important? Yeah, you know the. The easiest way that I've discovered to do that is I actually set a timer in my phone because, you know, you get busy. And so I'll make sure to have like three or four set in my day. And I just intentionally pause and look back at the last couple hours. And when we do that, if you really look at it, everything we do is incredible. Like the amount of things that our brains create in the day that our bodies do in a day Um, And Sydney has this ability to just make you pause like that laugh, right? Mm -hmm. You just want to, you just want to pause and go, wow, there's like something wonderful and amazing here. Innocent and beautiful, for sure, I think, too, right? And, you know, everything we do is informed from the beliefs that we have learned. That's the second segue into your second motivational tip. So tell us about that. Yeah, for sure. All of the things that we do in a day and when you take time to actually break that down and and look at everything you choose everything you think of comes from the beliefs around us and somehow as we get older in life we lose that magic of being a child and believing 
that life is good and fun and amazing and full of awe. And so we have to choose. We have to decide as adults to choose that mindset and that thinking. And I mean, Sydney makes that so fabulously easy. Hey, babe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she makes it easy, but it's also infectious. And I think that that's something that, uh, you know, you are able to kind of bottle up and share on the Facebook page, isn't it then? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we love doing those little videos. And, and if we don't, Cindy will be like, when am I doing my video? <laughs> it's just a way to help people have a moment um, to find that peace and joy in their life. Absolutely. Okay, tell us your third tip, because I like this one a lot. All right. So our true nature is actually gentleness and kindness. You know, we as children, we're all like that. And, you know, just as we get older, we get inundated with other things and we forget that. And one of the things that, you know, Sydney always used to say is true. I would say, you're so beautiful. And she'd say, true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we forget how to do that. And so it's something I encourage people to do is to believe it when people see our true nature in us. People will often say things that we miss because we're used to hearing the negative. Um, so when people say lovely things or, you know, recognize a, your peace or, um, wow, that's a beautiful smile. Or, oh, thanks for being there today. When we pause and recognize that, it it allows us to grow that. And then I always encourage people to purposely look for the true nature in others and recognize it in them so they can grow it in themselves too. What's interesting, Lori, is I think you could draw that parallel when you say our true nature is gentleness and kindness to uh, social media in that there can be so much negative on mm-hmm. social media, but you and uh, Sydney are using this as a power for, for light and for good on social media. Yeah, you know, I I tell people often, we cultivate our community on purpose. And, you know, it's the same on social media. I intentionally interact with the people that are creating the same kind of lifestyle that we want, which is full of joy and peace and happiness. And just like anything, it's also important then to share that and teach that yourself. Do you think that uh, Sydney will sing um, her favorite song, You Are My Sunshine, for us? Because I've heard her belt that thing out, and she's fantastic. Should we sing? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah. One, two, two three. three. You are my... My joy, shine. My only joy, shine. You are me When great. You never know. No, dear. How I love you. Don't take my sunshine. No way. Ah, beautiful. Thank you both so very much. A pleasure to chat with you. And we'll send people to uh, both your Facebook pages, See Uniqueness, and then this one, See Your Life in Miracles and Gratitude, and and follow Sydney and Lori and their videos. Thanks so much for joining us, ladies. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Appreciate it. That's Lori Cowling and her daughter, Sydney. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.